Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Welcome to episode number six. My name is Michael Howard, and with me this week, I have my colleagues Gladys Rodriguez and Sarah Young. Uh, Mark can't make it this week. He's having a well-earned vacation. We also have a guest today, uh, Jay Yaswenko. He's an Australian. He's going to talk to us about things pertaining to compromise recovery. So before we get started, uh, let's get stuck into the news. Gladys, why don't you start? Well, um, as you know, I have been out for a while. I came back and I, I had a, a ton of items to review, especially in the advanced threat protection. There's a lot of different functionality that is being released. And one that I'm really excited is the Microsoft Threat Protection. Uh, before I talk about the Microsoft Threat Protection, I'm going to give a little bit of background because a lot of people have been asking me, what are these threat protections and are they replacing each other? Well, as you guys know, there's Office 365 ATP, which uh, focuses more in email filtering and helps protect against malware and viruses. It also provides protection for other offices products. And has a link and attachment protection in the way it works. It uses a sandbox to detonate and monitor the behavior of those attachments. There's also Defender ATP, advanced threat protection, if I didn't spell it out before. And this is our endpoint detection and response solution. And finally, there's Azure Advanced Threat Protection, and although the name says Azure, is focused on on-prem identity type of threat protection. Those are the three main advanced threat protection, but there's actually two others, uh, SQL Advanced Threat Protection and Storage Advanced Threat Protection. A lot of customers have been talking that they needed a single pane of glass to look at all this threat protection information. And the way Microsoft is bringing it is through this Microsoft threat protection. So this is the single pane of glass that brings all the signals together. And the very part that is uh, really cool is the portal. Uh, you, you access this portal by going to security.microsoft.com and it consolidates all the signals together into an incident. So for example, it, you may see like a credential theft uh, type of incident, but it provides information to the full extent of the attack. And what that means is it brings information from Office 365 ATP, from Defender ATP, from Azure ATP to show user devices data that has been compromised. And you could click on it in order to get more functionality and more information. So I'm really excited about that uh, functionality. Another one is uh, it, that they're now providing native support for Android and Linux. So there's a ton of uh, new capabilities in there. So I suppose Microsoft Defender ATP for Android and for Linux, that is more of an enterprise thing rather than a consumer thing? That's correct. We are providing a lot of this functionality and it's more an enterprise uh, type of functionality. 
And finally, I wanted to uh, talk about uh, some webinars that are, are happening. Microsoft keeps releasing, and these are free webinars. And, and actually, there's a lot that are related with threat protection. Tomorrow, July 9th, Sarah is going to be speaking about that. Uh, Sarah, you want to uh, tell us a little brief description about what you'll be talking about? Yeah, sure. So I think it's funny because it's July the 9th for most people, but for me, it will be July the 10th um, and three o'clock in the morning, actually. <laughs> but I'm going to be talking about uh, visualization and workbooks and Azure Sentinel and uh, how, how you can use workbooks as part of your security operations and not just to visualize the logs, the things that come in, but also how you can use them to be more interactive. The reason that we call workbooks workbooks as opposed to dashboards is because there's loads of cool things you, you can do with them. And so we're going to spend 45 minutes, an hour, just looking at the various different things you can do. But like Gladys said, the um, security community webinars that we run, it's not just Sentinel. We do other Microsoft security products too. They're really informative. They're done by people from across Microsoft. We do record them and post things later. So if it's a crazy time of the night for you or you're just busy, you can always go and revisit them because we do put them on YouTube and you can consume at your leisure. You could also uh, see them if you go to aka.ms slash security webinars. Uh, but there's a ton of recorder uh, type of security workshops and webinars in there. I'm going to be talking about some firewall stuff. So um, we have actually uh, released some new Azure firewall features. They are mostly in preview at the moment, though some have gone GA. Um, so we have custom DNS support, DNS proxy support, fully qualified domain names or FQDN filtering in network rules is now in preview. IP groups is generally available. And AKS, so many acronyms today. Um, AKS, FQDN tags are available. And the cool one is that Azure Firewall, for those of you in the US, is now HIPAA compliant. So, of course, if you're beholden to HIPAA regulations, so if you're in the US or I believe if you're outside the US but you hold US health data, then um, you can now use Azure Firewall and it's all been uh, certified. The other firewall thing I wanted to talk about was Azure Firewall Manager has gone GA or generally available. So we announced Firewall Manager last year at Ready. It's something that I was very excited about. And it is uh, our tool for managing and centralizing management for all uh, Azure firewalls. And it means you can deploy them and you can configure them as groups without having to go individually into each firewall. So I have, I have four news items to talk about. The first one is to do with Cosmos DB and TLS 1.2, Transport Layer Security. Uh, so starting at the end of July, July 29th, Cosmos DB will no longer accept requests from clients that do, say, TLS 1.0, 1.1. It will only allow TLS 1.2 and above. So make sure that your clients are all updated because come that date, uh, you may get some funky errors in your clients. The other one is uh, MySQL database now has built-in threat detection. Also, a uh, feature that's sort of near and dear to my heart because I've used it a few times with customers is data lake storage now supports immutable storage. Uh, that is in preview. Uh, what immutable storage is, is you can put, say, um, a lock on the storage. So you, let's say you're under a legal hold or a legal obligation to store something for, say, a certain amount of time. Uh, and you put a legal lock on there, for example. And you can say for 90 days, no one can delete this data. 
And the last one, which is actually my favorite of the last uh, last couple of weeks, mainly because this is a, a feature within Azure that I use every single day, and that's Azure Key Vault. Uh, Azure Key Vault now has in-preview support for Azure Monitor. So you can actually see in the dashboard the telemetry that's coming back from your key vaults. Uh, I, I didn't actually realize, actually, I had a problem on one of my key vaults. I didn't actually even realize until I spun up uh, this Azure Monitor for Key Vault, and then I could see it in, in plain sight that I was having some problems. Nothing wrong with Key Vault, just one of the access policies that I had uh, on the Key Vault was causing problems. Uh, historically, getting telemetry out of the Key Vault has been, I'm not going to say difficult. It's not, but you've got to kind of jump through a few hoops. And this really makes things incredibly simple to get uh, critical telemetry uh, out of Key Vault so you can see what's going on within those Key Vaults. All right, so let's switch over to our guest now. Uh, we have Jay Yuzwenko. Uh, he is uh, head of cybersecurity for Asia Pacific Japan with a big focus on incident response and compromise recovery. Welcome, Jay. So, Jay, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, just as an intro for all our listeners, tell us about you know how long you've been at Microsoft and, and what your job is. So I've been at Microsoft for about, about 12 years. Um, started off in Canada, made my way to Asia, down here to Australia. And yeah, our teams are focused on um, recovering customers that have unfortunately suffered a breach. We're a worldwide team. Um, we call ourselves the Compromise Recovery Team, uh, or CR. You might hear me refer to CR. But yes, we focus on recovering customers that have suffered a breach. Something I know from my time at Microsoft is that not even a lot of customers know that Microsoft offers this as a service, you know, as a doing compromise recovery and incident response. So can you tell people just a little bit more about kind of what we do in that area and what, what your team does? I actually spend a lot of my time educating um, our customers and actually actually educating the account teams and the various folks at Microsoft that we actually have this function. Because you're right, um, you know, we're not known to be a cyber response or recovery company, obviously. I mean, it's not, it's not our main focus, but by the nature of our technology and the nature of, um, you know, that we support you know, vast businesses and, and our technology is embedded across the world. You know, we have taken that stance and said, we're going to help, you know, this particular space. And we've been doing this for well over almost a decade, actually, and iteration after iteration. And the reality is, is that, you know, We've come to a point where because we've done thousands of forensic investigations through our, through our, um, through our forensic teams, and we've done you know, hundreds and hundreds of recoveries of all sorts of types across the world, we've developed a methodology. And, and this is probably one of the biggest messages that I try to give to our customers of all levels, CISOs, CIOs, essentially that there is a plan. I've, I've had C-levels after we've gone through this kind of situation, you know, articulate back to us that I didn't know Microsoft does this. I now am very well educated that they do. And it's very comforting to know that somebody out there as, um, as responsible and as, and as, and as you know, uh, respected as Microsoft actually has a plan and approach to deal with this. Because it's, it's unfortunate, but a lot of organizations I come across who are dealing with the breach, they'll approach this from a whack-a-mole type perspective. Whereas we approach it from a planned, executable perspective in terms of recovering an environment without breaking the business and doing it in a way, you know, is, is actually able to evict the adversary from, from a customer's platform. 
So, Jay, can you, I know you can't give us specifics, but can you give us an example of a typical compromise recovery scenario that, that you and your team would get involved in? We, we look at this from a, we look at each compromise from a three category approach. Um, and arguably two of the categories can kind of fit together, but, but there is a bit of a distinction. So the first one is what we call a persistent type of attack. Okay, so what'll often happen in a persistent attack is um, an advanced persistent threat or an APT will come into the environment typically through some kind of spear phishing process, which is an email or some type of web link that gets to an administrator or an end user and they click it, they click the link, and then the APT or the advanced persistent threat is able to then uh, essentially get onto that person's machine and they laterally move through the environment until they essentially are able to harvest credentials, which is the problem statement, which is something I'll talk about in a second. And then they essentially get themselves to be in full control of the platform. And that, that is the point in time where the customer actually is no longer in control of their environment. Now, now a persistent adversary is looking to stay in the environment. So they're looking to be quiet. Um, they're looking to do data exfiltration, whether it's PII data or whatever that might be, right? They're looking to monetize a customer's data um, in some way, shape or form, or they're looking, or perhaps they're a state actor and a state actor refers to a more sophisticated type level of actor. Again, they're looking to stay in the environment, potentially pivot from an environment to something else of more interest or of equal value, but ultimately they're quiet, right? And they wanna remain quiet. And actually often we even see during forensics, we can see how sometimes a more sophisticated actor will actually remove the, the implants or the or whatnot from a less sophisticated actor. So they'll actually clean the environment up so that it's it's, it's not noisy and, and they don't get caught because they want to remain there for months or months or years. And I've seen I've seen in environments, I've seen state actors, four or five different actors in an environment, you know, four, five, six, seven years. So that's the first classification is, is a persistent, a persistent attack. The second one is ransomware. And and ransomware, I'm sure everybody who's listening has you know, seen this, heard this, it's in the news, you see it all over the place. Um, ransomware has gone, <laughs> has gone, has become a business. Okay, so it used to be a number of years ago, it used to be just painful. Now it is probably well over 60 to 70% of what we deal with is ransomware. And there's a couple different ways that they'll do it. They'll do it, the first way is called a smash and grab, which means they'll, you know, they're, they're typically a less mature actor organized crime of some type, and they will run into the environment and they'll just start encrypting stuff. They'll just start encrypting things in the hopes that the, you know, the, the customer will you know, just uh, up and pay the ransom. Then there's a little bit more of a sophisticated type of ransomware, which we're seeing a lot of, especially in the last kind of 18 months, which is where they'll come in, they'll essentially recon the environment. They'll figure out what is the most impactful way that they can affect the customer? They'll drop all of the malware or the, um, onto a bunch of machines and then they'll data exfiltrate. They'll hold that data for ransom on the dark web for a certain amount of money and then they'll encrypt. So it's kind of like a double ransom, if you will. So they're, they're gonna steal your data, they're gonna hold it for ransom, I'm gonna expose this on the web. I'm sure you've seen that in the media. And then they'll encrypt the platform, forcing the customer to essentially be down, right? Then asking them to, to pay the ransom. So ransomware is a different approach when it comes to dealing with it. Again, so ransomware is what we're seeing most out there right now. Um, it is highly destructive. 
obviously, because it literally brings a customer to their knees, right? The, the business is down, the systems are down, you cannot operate, you cannot do essentially anything. And the approach, and again, my message to everybody is there is a plan to deal with that. There is a proactive plan that we can help you with in terms of how to protect yourself from ransomware, or at the very least, if it happens, a way we can get you up and running far quicker. But if you're in the situation, there's absolutely a plan to deal with that. And the last one is a destructive attack. So this can be, you know, this could be an organization that is there to simply hurt an organization, for example. So they'll get in. Um, we had one here in the region last year where, where the adversary got in and they were deleting thousands and thousands and thousands of accounts, service accounts that were on the platforms, the administrative accounts, you know, three, 4,000 identities within um, one of our products called Active Directory or AD, which is the identity um, platform that in most organizations is sort of the backbone, if you will, or the, the identity you know, infrastructure that all of, your, all of your systems run off of. And they were deleting thousands and thousands of accounts. So of course, the company just came to its knees, right? It just it, it, it wasn't ransomware. They weren't encrypting anything. They were just there to do harm. We probably see that less out there, but it's still obviously um, a formable type, type of attack. So yeah, there's a number of different ways that we deal with this. And we've developed methodologies and an approach to properly handle each of these different types of categories. Um, you were talking there um, about AD, of course. Obviously, most customers will be running like a hybrid environment. So, you know, they'll have some on-prem yeah. and cloud. Do you see these attackers kind of more start in the cloud, say on Azure, or is it on-premise or do they pivot between the two? Do you, do you see any kind of patterns or, or, or scenarios <laughs> around that? All of the above. So it, it, it's a really interesting question, Sarah. So yes, we most customers today are in some type of hybrid mode, right? So they've got an on-premise Active Directory or an identity platform that they're running their, their business and, and they've been doing that for you know, 10, 20 years. Then they've adopted the cloud, doesn't really matter what cloud it is, by the way. <laughs> and they're in some kind of hybrid state. So we have to understand sort of the way an actor thinks. And typically it's easy in today's world, the actors actually don't have to work that hard, um, unfortunately. Just a bit of context. So if you, if you backtrack seven, 10 years ago, the cyber industry, you would have heard things like a zero day, right? Uh, it's, you know, we've got a zero day vulnerability in this particular piece of code and that's how they got in. In today's world, interestingly enough, you can actually buy a zero day on the dark web for about a thousand euros um, with a guarantee that if it doesn't work, they'll give you another one. Because in, in today's world, this is no longer the problem state. We have to understand, and we as an industry, and I mean the IT industry, we have to change how we think. We are still, even, even now, even some of the companies that are helping customers deal with this problem are thinking seven years ago, and this has to change. The perimeter is important, the firewalls and the, and the network segmentation and and the intrusion detection systems and the endpoint detection systems and the virus. These are all very important things. Yes, I'm not saying they're not important. They need to be there. But the bad guys are literally being walked through all of those defenses in today's world and being walked directly into the data center or directly into your cloud. This is because the administrators that run your business, the folks that you are paying to do their job and they do it very well, are the ones, unfortunately, that the industry hasn't helped to protect those identities. Those identities are what the bad guys are after. That's what they want. They want to get in. They want to harvest credentials in an environment. They want that 
really important, strong, what we call a domain administrative account in Active Directory, because that's what controls everything. And that's what they go after. And they do it very easily. They don't have to work very hard. They get in, most systems today, when I go into a customer are unpatched, quite frankly. They don't have to work hard. They get in, they can literally bounce around. Most customers aren't even watching a whole lot what's going on, so they can be noisy. They get access to domain administrator. They pivot over to the cloud. They got access to the global administrator account and they do what they want. So we as an industry have got to change the game and we have got to double down and understand what the real problem statement is. And that is the identity. And it is in the cloud or it is on on-prem. And we see it coming from both ways. Now, the good news is that in the cloud, we have a lot of security features that customers can turn on from an administrative perspective, like conditional access and multi-factor authentication and on all sorts of different things that, that we can talk about around that you can turn on that will help you know, inch towards a stronger security posture. On-premise, it is a defendable architecture. And there is a defendable architecture that we have, and we can certainly help you with that. But yes, it, it comes both ways, Sarah. Cool. The first thing that I think of when, when we think of recovery is how long would you say and or can you say from the point that you know you and your team get called in to come and deal with a, a compromise and to recover from it how long does that process normally take can can you give a ballpark figure or does it really depend on the on the customer and their environment i think we need to double down on, the, on this i've talked a lot about the plan and the approach and yes it is definitely customer specific however when we talk about the approach that we need to take to do a proper recovery, I'll talk about a three-phased approach, okay? And each one is distinct. Each one has been designed to get to a, to, to a different, you know, sort of point on the board, if you will, and move that posture into a certain direction. I, I talked earlier about, about um, recovery methodologies sort of seven years ago that are a whack-a-mole approach, right? So the, the forensic team will get in. They'll poke around, they'll kind of follow the the breadcrumbs from system to system, and they'll start removing things as they find them. In today's world, that doesn't work. Um, And I still see that very, very often today in terms of an approach. Candidly, the the bad guy just understands that methodology and just works around it, right? They kind of laugh, right? Like they just sort of, just kind of, you clean something up and they go to the next one. And it's just, it's it's not the right approach. What we do is a three-phased approach. So incident response from our forensic teams, which is done through our um, through our uh, support organization. That is a forensic investigation. We need to conduct a proper, holistic, data-driven forensic investigation to understand the foothold the bad guy has in the environment. Because you have to remember, the bad guy probably has been there for months or years and probably understands your network better than you do, candidly. We see that very often. So it's not a situation where I can just come in and just do stuff, right? And all of a sudden you're you're fixed up. So the instant response has to be sort of more holistic across the platform. And what we're looking for from that as we move into the second phase, which of course is compromise recovery or CR, we're looking for what we call the ABCs of a compromise or accounts to so the accounts that have been used to, um, to get in, the ones that have been spearfished and the ones that have been compromised at the powerful account level in the cloud and on-prem. We need to understand that and our tools and our methodologies can understand that. So when we do forensics, we, we focus, knowing identity is the platform, we focus on that. We understand that, we look for that, we have tools and methodologies to find that. B for backdoors, right? So, so typically what an adversary will do is they'll compromise a platform, right? They'll get in, 
they'll use their own implants if, if they have to, and they'll leave implants around the environment, right? So this is sort of a, a backdoor. It's a way of getting in if they're found out, right? Often what will happen is they'll, they'll come in, they'll, they'll drop implants or backdoors into the environment, and then they'll become legitimate. They'll turn around and they'll act like you. They'll act like a regular user. They'll use your VPNs to get in. You know, they'll use your web portals to get in. They look like a regular user, and it's very hard to disseminate sort of the bad guy from your regular staff. So the back doors we look for, and we look for those, and that's obviously in, in the forensics. And then the C is for C2. So we look for the command and control channels on C2. But basically, that is how an adversary would communicate with these backdoors in the event that they had to use them to, to, to regain a foothold in the environment. So moving into CR, so this is where it gets interesting. So the forensic response, sorry, takes anywhere from two to three weeks, right? There are tools, there are tools to deploy, there's data to gather, and that actual forensic takes approximately five days with our data-driven backend. We use we use AI or, or artificial intelligence. We use machine learning. We've got a, Microsoft has an immense amount of threat intel that we use from all over the world during our investigation to look and see under the covers of the operating system what's there, and that takes about two to three weeks. Then we move into compromised recovery. Now, compromised recovery, it's important to understand. In the past, we have tried to do a full recovery. This is really important. We do not do that anymore. We have tried in the past to, to do that, that methodology. Very often, it's just too long. Very often, the adversaries tipped off that something's happening and they just re-implant, which invalidates the investigation. So we try and keep the recovery phase to approximately five to six weeks, four weeks if we can, but there is some planning to do. Compromised recovery involves us coming in and obviously cleaning up the environment, resetting accounts, um, resetting what we call the, the, the Kerberos ticket, which is very often compromised in attack. The Kerberos ticket is a function of Active Directory that allows the adversary to basically impersonate any account that they want. It gives them free reign across Active Directory. So, you know, we, we do deal with that. At the same time, we have created security controls that we inject into Active Directory to stop the exposure of these accounts from happening again, right? So we're not in a situation where we're recompromised in the fashion that we were before. So it's a real control that goes in and there's a process to doing that. And there's some planning to do that because these controls are very strong. And we don't want to obviously cause you know harm to any business applications. We want to make sure that we're doing it right and, and doing it properly. So that process there for Compromised recovery takes approximately four to six weeks. And then we move into uh, uh, the third phase, which is called strategic recovery, which is a much more enterprise level type of approach. Uh, probably a different podcast, actually, but still very important. It sounds like it's a pretty thorough and in-depth process and takes a while. Can you give us any examples um, around, uh, you know, how people have been compromised? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the most common scenario that we see is systems that are unpatched and an abundant of, uh, exposure of these administrative accounts. That is the beachhead today, right? So they're not trying to you know, break into your firewall. <laughs> That's days gone by. They are literally looking to trick your administrator who's on their laptop that has access to these credentials, right? And they're browsing whatever social media website they want during the lunchtime and they're clicking links and they're going here and going there and checking their mail and doing everything that we do as people, right? But they're doing it on a system 
that holds the keys to a customer's platform. And that's the problem is that these accounts, whether they're a cloud account or an Azure global administrator account or they're an App Directory account, this is what they're after. This is what they're going after. And this is what the industry doesn't understand. So yeah, without going into too many specifics, that's probably the primary way that we see today. And, and this is the important point, right? If you're an admin and you're using a workstation to administer Azure or any cloud platform for that matter, and that system has been used to, like you say, do social media, read your email, browse the web, whatever, that system could be compromised. And now the keyboard that you're using to do your Azure administration is now potentially a dirty keyboard. You can't trust it anymore. That's correct. We have a, we have a philosophy or I should say a methodology um, in the recovery teams across actually all of our teams. And Microsoft as a, as a company have adopted this methodology. It's called the, the clean keyboard. Um, so we do two things. We call it you know, the clean source media, which means that we're, when we're building a server or we're building an administrative workstation, we have to trust the media. But more importantly to your point, Michael, we have to trust the keyboard. If you can't trust that keyboard, that physical machine that an administrator is using, it doesn't matter what sort of forward facing, whether you're going to a quote unquote jump server that you think is secure or using a PAM solution of any kind or you're administering a system directly. It makes no difference. We've seen every scenario be be compromised in the um, if that keyboard is not clean. If you trust the keyboard, which again is part of the defendable architecture, absolutely yes, that is that is where it starts. Yeah. So uh, kind of to wrap this up, I want to put you on the spot. Um, if you had two bits of advice for customers to keep them out of uh, having to employ you to uh, to help them get out of a compromised situation, uh, what would those two bits of advice be? Understand what the problem statement is today. Because if you truly invest some time in understanding that identity is where this is at, that will start you on a journey of actually putting in a cybersecurity strategy that will help you defend against this. I'd like to say that there is a magic feature or function that you can do um, that will just stop this. There isn't. It's, it's, it's a very sophisticated world that evolves literally daily. So I think the single most important thing customers need to do is understand what that problem statement is, which is identity, and understand how that relates to you in your environment. Understand how an adversary gets in, take the time and challenge your people, challenge your security people to ask that question, you know, to engage us or whoever your security partner is, and don't accept a tool. Don't accept just one piece of what is a triad responsibility, right? So there's, there's, there are things to protect there's things to detect and there's operational response to this. And we have to get that right. Until we do that as an industry, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. Now from like a, you know, ways of helping, you know, make this harder, MFA. I think if I had to say one thing out there is um, turn on MFA across as much as you possibly can. MFA and conditional access. I see that reducing this by a good 70 to 80 percent so you're gonna you're gonna knock off a lot of the adversaries out there that are immature right and then you're going to be dealing with the ones that are going to want to get in and that's where the understanding of the identity um, comes into play multi-factor authentication is is critically important i think so with that let's wrap this up thank you so much for your time jay i uh, really appreciate it uh, i think we could spend all day just going over some of the stories i think one of the key things about security that makes it 
so valuable, so I think, to a lot of customers is when they hear the stories. And I think your stories really sort of hammer home um, the requirements uh, around securing systems from compromise and, frankly, how people can become compromised without necessarily even realizing it. So with that, as I said, let's wrap this up. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixer.org and licensed under the Creative Commons license.